I am a rambling Irishman And Ulster I was born in And many's a happy hours I spent On the banks of the sweet Loch Erin Known throughout Ireland as one of the finest cameramen in the field of commercial industrial photography, Esler Crawford has just seen the release of his latest book, The North, A View From The Skies, and is published by Blackstaff Press. This book is a truly magnificent piece of work and gives us over 130 photographs in stunning colour. I'm delighted that Esler is my guest tonight. I'm Bobby Hammer, the Rambler Man, the man with the sore feet, and as always, you're very welcome to the art programme as well, too. And sure, why wouldn't you be? So hurt, why then don't you show it? You say you've lost your faith, but that's not where it's at. You have no faith to lose, and you know it. Behind my back I used to be Among the crowd You're in with Do you take me For such a fool To think I'd make contact With one who tries to hide What it don't know To begin with You say, how are you? Good luck, but you don't mean it When you know as well as me You'd rather see me paralyzed Why don't you just come out once and scream Your position and your place Don't you understand It's not my problem I wear 
could stand inside my shoes And just for that one moment I could be you Yes, I wish that for just one time You could stand inside my shoes You'd know what a drag it is to see Dylan with the first of the music chosen by my guest tonight. Esler Crawford's latest book, The North, A View From The Skies, would make the ideal Christmas present for friends at home and abroad. It's published by the Blackstaff Press and is now in all good bookshops, and Esler joins us in just a moment. You're tuned to Downtown Radio, from Monaghan to Mogadishu. Esler, before we talk about your latest book, could you bring us all back in time with your earliest memories? Uh, I suppose my uh, earliest memories uh, are how hard Life was on a farm outside Larne. Uh, my father used to wake me at 6.30 in the morning when I was 11 years of age to go out and milk cows by hand. Handier than using your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could say that. Uh, yeah. But the milk was warm anyway, so if you had a mouthful of it, it was all right. <laughs> but it wasn't uh, pasteurised or anything. And how long did you have to get up in the mornings for my father sold the farm uh, when I was about 20 and uh, I I laboured with him, you know, until he sold the farm. Meantime, you know, my mother was very ambitious for my brother and I and she made sure we got to Queen's University. My brother studied medicine, I studied chemistry. Having experienced 20 years on a farm, I had no desire to spend any more time on it. And when did you first become interested in photography? First became interested in photography, I suppose, uh, when I was about 14, when I was given a present. No, sorry, my first camera was a brownie box camera, which had belonged to a, an uncle of mine. I think it was goes back to the First World War, would you believe? And then my first real camera I got about 14 was a Nike for Silette. It was a 35mm camera, you know, but very basic compared to the magic machines we have. The Germans, are, the Germans are always the best mm, well, cameras, yeah. Well, I think the Japs have taken over now. But uh, that was the first decent camera. But uh, I realised my ambition, uh, camera-wise, when I managed to scrape up the money for my first Leica 3F, which was, in those days, was you know was the most sought-after camera in the world, I suppose. And then what did it cost you then? Oh, gosh, I have no idea, but far more than I could afford. I remember I got it in Macintosh's in High Street. Mr Macintosh was a very nice man, and he, uh, as an impecunious student he was very kind to me but he's he, he still had to be paid and what year was that that's when i was going to queens that would be in the late 50s i suppose at that time the like it was the pinnacle of camera technology i suppose well, it still is did you take many photographs during your time in queens i did i photographed everything when i was at queens then my main interest was in motorsport that's that's what really got me hooked in photography photographing motorsport because I was taking part in motorsport and took the camera along, photographed uh, the little rallies and auto tests we did, I f- photographed them as well as taking part in them. You graduated with a PhD in chemistry from Queen's University and worked for seven years as an industrial chemist. What kind of work did you do? Well, my first job was in BP. 
I was on the, uh, first of all, the Calandarcy Refinery in South Wales, where I enjoyed watching the rugby down there, great rugby fanatics in South Wales. That was my other interest, as well as motorsport, was, was rugby. And then I moved to the, to the Isle of Grain Refinery in Kent, where I was part of the R&D team. And uh, my specific job was to find out what caused detonation in, in fuel. And I analysed analyzed the fuel and saw what impurities was in it and uh, whether these impurities were, were causing this detonation or not. And then I wandered back to Ireland. And then I t- took a job in Gallagher's in the R&D department in H- Henry Street. You would have known Raymond Piper, I suppose, in those days? No, I didn't know no. Raymond Piper. No. He worked in Gallagher's in the Did 60s. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's yeah. when cigarettes were cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I worked there for six years, but I got very disillusioned with it because... We were supposed to be investigating the link between tobacco smoking and, and health. And I suppose, you know, in a sense, that's just like t- telling turkeys, you know, that Christmas is coming up. They really had no real interest. The only thing they were interested in in the R&D department was making a small amount of tobacco fill a cigarette better. That was, re- that was really the main pursuit. It's uh, not the cigarette tobacco kills you, it's the chemicals that have in the tobacco. Well, I wouldn't. I don't agree with that either, because you know, as a chemist, I realise you know that when t- tobacco was burnt, it forms a huge range of various chemicals, some of which definitely are cancer-causing. But but when anything's burnt, if you burn toast, you get cancer. You get cancer-causing chemicals as well. Is that right? Yeah. Anything that's burnt, any compound of carbon and hydrogen which is burnt will form cancer-causing compounds. What about a coal fire? A blowdown? I suppose so. Yes, I think the same could apply. It's a long time since I was involved in this. Uh, but you know your stuff, you're the chemist, you know. <laughs> well, I used to know it, but not now. Did you ever take any photographs when you read with BP? Not for the company, no, but I pursued my hobby there, you know, wherever I was. I remember, <laughs> I remember when I was out of Grain Refinery, I became the correspondent for Motoring News, and I went to events at Brands Hatch almost every weekend. And I had to get my films processed, and I remember... Blacking out my bedroom in the in my landlady's house and processing the films in the dark there. And I, and I remember when I left, she charged me for a new set of curtains because the curtains were all stained by the chemicals. <laughs> she wasn't so slow. Long. 
I'll do that cooking, baby, pay all the rent. Babe, I know I've done you wrong. Remember that rainy evening that you throwed me out with nothing but a fine tooth gone. Baby, isn't it a shame? I know I'm to blame. Bill, Billy, why don't you please come home? Esler, you became a professional photographer in 1969. I opened up in 72. Can you recall your first big job? And what did you open up as? Were you a portrait photographer or a commercial photographer? Well, I opened up as a photographer, having to make a living, photographing absolutely everything. Anything, yeah. And I remember, you know, my mother was my first receptionist. She was very loyal and helpful. She would travel with me every day to her studio on the Antrim Road, 220 Antrim Road. But it was always my ambition to get into commercial architecture, photography, that sort of thing. And I suppose one of the first big jobs I had was to photograph the progress of the Belfast City Hospital just yeah. next door to us here. Yeah, I remember I used to come in here to get you to process my transparencies way back years and years and years ago. I remember seeing a big photograph on your wall down there of the City Hospital and you had taken it from above. I'd taken it from I'd taken it from the bucket of the crane, mm-hmm. <laughs> and me with no head for heights. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you could see. You know, I was holding on for grim death, but I was determined to get the shot. Great photograph, wasn't huh? it? Yeah, it was a nice photograph. But what I was going to you say didn't was, didn't do that with a Leica. No, that was done with a Hasselblad and a fisheye lens. Mm-hmm. But what I was going to say was the first time I went on this on the city hospital site, I had just bought myself a brand new five by four Sinar camera. It was the, the East 5 before camera of its day. I set it up in the tripod and I went and left it to go over to the other side of the site just to have a look at the view. And while I was away, I could see the camera tripod, one of the legs collapsing and my brand new camera oh. crashing onto the concrete. It didn't wreck it, but it took a big lump out of, out of the corner of it. And did it still work? <laughs> it still worked. When you've spent your hard-earned money on something brand new and shiny and, and you take a lump out of it, well, it right. doesn't do much for you. You say you never really appreciate a car and get content with it until you get a few good scrapes. That's right. <laughs> when, it's, when, it, when, when you it's, don't care if you get it hit or not. When it's you, you're fighting to drive it. That's right. That's right. How did the troubles affect your business? Well, I can't answer that question because... It made pressmen busier? It made pressmen busy. It, I mean, when I started my business in 68, the troubles were just starting. So, I mean, my career just ran parallel to the troubles. And I suppose everything might have been a lot better had there been no troubles in, in the financial sense. But one survived, That's right. as you know yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. Was your knowledge of chemistry useful to your photography? It was useful in the sense that you know, chemistry is a very logical subject. The actual knowledge of chemistry itself wasn't all that great because, I, you know, photochemistry is so complicated that I couldn't have bothered learning all the ins and outs. But, I, you know, I, I, knew how, I knew the importance of being accurate in terms of mixing chemicals up and the effect of temperature and time and processing, all those sorts of things. If you do a subject in chemistry, it gives you a logical mind, therefore it makes solving problems a bit easier, I, I think. In, in the UK, I believe, you know, the technical people are not appreciated enough. Lawyers and people like that who charge huge fees are far more appreciated than, than mere chemists who, who only get a working wage. Well, had you not been a photographer, Esther, you could have very well been a bomber. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I remember, you know, I remember... 
and there comes a lab in Queensland where we used to make stuff called nitrogen triiodide, which you got by mixing iodine crystals and ammonia and then drying off this resultant mixture. And if you dropped it on the floor when people walked over, it went off with the most enormous bang. Is that right? <laughs> It'll be all running down to the chemist now to try and buy that stuff. <laughs> as well as taking photographs, you also processed other people's work. That was a big part of your business, wasn't it? Well, it was a part of it. Something like an E6 colour process needs a certain minimum volumes of film going through to keep it online. So if we had enough films of our own to keep it right, then we were pleased to process other people's films as well, to keep the throughput up. In any photographic process, you know, the bigger the throughput, the better the process is controlled. And the more often the chemicals are changed. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, what other photographer, national or international, helped influence your work? I wonder would it be Margaret Burke White, because she was an American photographer and she photographed a lot of industrial things like you have photographed. And in my early days, I remember reading a fascinating book by a photographer called Walter Nuremberg. I don't even remember him or not. I have still of his book at home. He was into industrial photography, commercial photography, and his lighting was beautiful. It was all tungsten lighting, and he must have had an army of assistants. But I always admired the quality of, of, of his work. Don't know a great deal about other photographers, but I admire those who show a good technique. Photography, unless you have good technique, I don't think it's, it's worth doing. And do you think that you've got to enjoy your work? Well, I enjoy my work immensely. Otherwise, otherwise I wouldn't be at it still. Mm. You know, you get up in the morning and go out and take a nice photograph. Sure, that's... You know, Heaven. That's terrific. If I go up the Antrim coast and spend all day and get one photograph that I really like, I think, I think I've had a blooming good day. I'm sure you've taken hundreds of thousands of photographs in your time. And if you were asked to name one favourite, what would it be? That's difficult, but a recent favourite was one which we were asked to take a couple of years ago off the Royal County Down Golf Club. It was a very uh, mundane enough subject. It's an aerial photograph. You had to get exactly the right conditions and the right time, and the ones with the Mourn Mountains in the background. And uh, So I told my pilot, look, his name was Tom Givens, look, Tom, we'll have to be there early in the morning, otherwise the sun will be too far round. So we set off fairly early from Mars Airfield, and uh, we arrived at Dundrome. The conditions were just perfect. The sky was clear of clouds, the sun was in the right direction. It was just the sort of perfection that one was aiming for, and this country don't get very often. It's invidious to ask about a favourite photograph, because, I mean, you know as well as I do that any photographer loves hundreds of his photographs, That's doesn't right. he? So I, no way I could... Sometimes when I'm doing sample albums, I sit down and it takes me hours and hours just to select a few photographs because you look at them and say I like that and then that's maybe a wee bit better it's very different As I read the letters Oh that you wrote to me Where did you get you I'm thinking of As I read and to me were so sweet I remember our faded love I miss you darling more Every day has heaven would miss the storm We 
it's hard to believe when you look back on it that you've taken all the photographs that you have taken. Did you ever think that yourself? I think so, yes. And the problem is beginning to trouble me now is what do I do with them? You know, I've heard of photographers when they're retiring throwing all their, their negatives out. Well, to me, that's, that is vandalism. You have a better give them to a museum or something. Or you better sell them to a museum. Or sell them to a museum, even mm. better. Yeah. Because uh, if you leave them lying here when you die and cross over, somebody will come along and they'll say, oh, that, that rubbish there, throw that in the bin. Mm-hmm. But I, or else but somebody else will come along, realise the value of it, and make a fortune out of it. But you see, I think this is where digital photography will go wrong because when a lot of CDs made today, say, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, those CDs are of a lying in a drawer, gathering dust, and people look up and say, that's an old CD, we'll chuck that in the bin. Whereas people will at least pick up a negative and, and, and have a look at it, they'll show some interest. I think CDs will be thrown out. Serious people in America who collect photographs, they always buy negatives and they won't buy digital because up until now, they don't know how to archive digital. They don't know how long it's going to stay on a CD. Exactly. Or will they have to transfer it onto another CD in 10 years? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have digital cameras, but I, I have a rule which I adhere to. If I think anything is important, I shoot it on film. That's why. If it's only of passing interest, I shoot it in digital. <laughs> of course, who's to know what's only of passing interest now? Maybe in 10 or 20 years' time, it might be... A extreme interest but you just have to make this judgment in 10 years time they'll probably be doing weddings on phones <laughs> well sure they're do- sure they're doing them now on phones <laughs> <laughs> yeah as well as your industrial photography Esther you have taken some very fine portraits in your time could you tell me some of your most memorable well I'm not sure what the most memorable portrait would be uh, <laughs> But I suppose the most memorable job was photographing the Pope when he came to knock in what? what it was 79 or something. It was 1979. Well, yeah. well, we were asked, to, my assistant and I were asked to go down by a publishing firm to photograph the Pope at knock. <laughs> An interesting experience, you know, for a lone prod amidst about 2,000 Roman Catholics. That's right, you were in dangerous there. <laughs> <laughs> Nervous time. <laughs> That's right. But we went down and we stayed overnight in a boarding house and uh, where we uh, had a meal of cold ham and, and tomato I remember and amongst the other guests was a priest just to be in the safe side I had brought a bottle of fine malt whiskey with me and poured myself a small libation and I saw the priest looking over and I said Father would you like one? He says thank you very much. <laughs> he ended up drinking the most of the bottle of whiskey. Yes, he wasn't so slow. <laughs> so anyway the next day we headed off to photograph the Pope and we spent all day at Knock. I must say it was a it was a wonderful experience, and the dedication of some of the people who went to see the Pope was unbelievable. There was one man standing near me, and he stood all day, it must have been eight hours, holding a child in his arms. Tremendous dedication. And how far were you off the Pope? Well, I was quite a distance away, because I was shooting with, uh, with a long lens. I think it was an 800mm or 600mm, but my assistant, he was up close. He was brasher than I was. <laughs> so the Pope never knew you were there? The Pope didn't know I was there. <laughs> I still have all the nags of that job, and someday they may be worth a lot of money. They would be, yeah, they would definitely be. Ashley Crawford continues his story next week. Please join us then. The North, A View from the Skies, is published by Blackstaff Press, so you know what to do. 
Well, as you know, by now, I'm celebrating 30 years in downtown in November, and some people I've interviewed over the years have expressed an interest, an interest in interviewing me. They are Andy Terry, Danny Morrison, Dr. Morris Hayes, Malachi O'Doherty, and Sir Ronnie Flanagan. And the next week, then, with Esler's last track ready to roll from me, Bobby Hammond, the Rambler Man, it's good night and God bless, and stay tuned to downtown. Manta go now, here. Paul Brady taking us out, who David Hammond said was the best folk singer in the world, and few can argue with that. It's still too